Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development at QIC, and each Monday morning we join the Liquid Markets Group market meeting to get the latest update across all traded markets. Good morning and welcome to Monday the 21st of September. We start the week with Australia feeling pretty good about ourselves with jobless numbers falling nationally in August data released last week. And we are now around six weeks out from US elections. However, isn't having the market impact we'd normally expect. The market appears more occupied with TikTok and its representation of those US-China political tensions. In the UK, Boris Johnson is also under more pressure with fresh COVID concerns, whilst Israel has gone into a new lockdown. And pleasingly, Victoria appears to have finally broken the back of that COVID outbreak, recording just 11 new cases overnight, its lowest in three months. Victoria's recent $3 billion fiscal package is also set to be supported by the federal government, who was reportedly preparing the October budget with a large infrastructure spending package, a fiscal topic our Dr. Matthew Peter has been calling for for some time. So what themes are going to drive markets this week? Let's find out. Andy Lynn, our Senior Portfolio Manager for Currency and Research Analyst, is filling in for Stuart Simmons this week, who's getting some much-needed R&R. And he's going to fill us on currencies and how they're faring against this global backdrop. Andy, has the central bank policy news been the main driver of currency markets in the past week? Thanks, Craig. Yeah, look, over the past week, I guess the main um, event that we had over the week has been the, um, the FOMC, the US Federal Open Market um, Committee. So the market's generally been fairly quiet in currency space with um, maintaining a kind of modest, modestly um, weakening US dollar trend. Um, and, you know, the quietness is, uh, we can attribute that to gen- generally just people expecting um, just expectations over the FOMC. But we did see that um, out of the, um, out of that, the, um, the Fed meeting there, there really was very little um, from the central bank to discourage the recent trends being that the, um, the Fed's going to maintain their 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 policy e- easing and the inflation um, inflation targeting. Um, so so basically, what we did see is that the U.S. dollar continued to um, to to sell off throughout the week with um, with just very little interruption. Um, now, having said that, the, uh, the the rankings of the currency performance against the U.S. dollars was was a bit bit of a mixed bag, and uh, and we did see the um, the yen and also the high, being the defensive currency and also high beta New Zealand dollar performing quite well uh, against the dollar. Andy, you mentioned the FOMC meeting before. Did it help the U.S. dollar out at all, though? No, not not really. Um, I think what what it really did was. Um, it wasn't really the big, a big um, surprise or, or or change in news that people were um, were looking for. So, so basically, the US dollar had been selling off over the over the previous weeks, and in on the on the on the back of the the very easy Fed expectations, and and it's really just continued post that as well. And you mentioned it was a bit of a mixed bag performance-wise, so no clear trends, I take it then, for currency performance against the US dollar. Why do you think that was the case? I think I think a lot of a lot of that is really just due to the, on being on the week. There's, it, it, like I said before, it's um, over the few days prior to the FOMC, really positioning has been. Had, like investors were probably generally a bit reluctant to take material positioning over the event. Um, but we did see though that, um, say for example, the Japanese yen has been an outperformer and with um, 
I guess with um, risk assets, particularly equities, having a bit of a tougher period, that that's probably makes makes some sense there for um, for the yen to to be performing well. On the other hand, um, I mentioned also mentioned the New Zealand dollar, and that was, that was um, being very strong performer over the week, and um, having having had the um, Reserve Bank of New Zealand in recent weeks um, continue to talk up the prospects of um, policy easing and further moving into negative rates. Um, that's been um, that's been a, a bit of a surprise, I guess, for for um, for us as well in terms of how well the Kiwi has performed. Yeah, and you mentioned there this idea of you know uh, sentiment around negative rates globally. Of course, the UK is also, I suppose, in some ways, joined New Zealand dollar in the in the positioning for this. Has the market reacted the way the Bank of England had hoped for in that positioning? Yes, that's right, and and yes, like like you said, the um, the BOE has um, over the during the week um, alluded to the fact that they are actively um, canvassing the um, prospect of moving rates negative, and on the on the night of that, when when those comments did come out, we did see a brief um, dip in the British pound, but that was very quickly unwound, and the pound actually finished the week stronger. So what we what, what we are really seeing in currency markets at the moment is that um, it, it's very difficult for um, any individual central bank to um, to use their monetary policy lever to um, to influence their currency rates in a sustained fashion, um, given the fact that all the major central banks are effectively at their um, lower limits in terms of interest rates and are actively using some form of um, unconventional policy. So it's it's very difficult for any any central bank to go it alone basically and and to move their move the dial much here. Uh, very interesting. Thank you, Andy Lynn, for our currency update. We're now going to welcome Robert Swan, our head of risk premium equities, to the Q Pod. Robert, let's get straight into it. How did the main indices fare last week? Thanks, Greg. It was really a, a week of two halves. Uh, leading up to the FOMC, equities were slightly higher, up about 1.5%. But then since that point, it's really been all downhill. Uh, on the week, we see or we saw that the NASDAQ finished around about 1.5% off, uh, underperforming the broader S&P index by about 70 basis points. Uh, Europe was fairly in line with that broader performance, uh, and actually the Australian market outperformed on the week, finishing just slightly down. So given that uh, global markets, including Australia, had a sort of a mixed result, Robert, were there any themes at the sector level beneath these aggregate returns that might be driving markets? Uh, definitely tech. I mean, tech's been leading, I guess, the uh, ups and downs, to be honest. Uh, in terms of factors, we saw, I guess, good days and bad days for both growth growth and value. Uh, but over the week, they ended up pretty similar in terms of performance. And Robert, you mentioned the ASX result earlier. Um, in my opening summary, I highlighted the surprise uh, jobless result for Australia. Was there any market impact that day from that jobless result? On the day, Craig, um, the Australian market really sold off in line with uh, the rest of the market. So I guess while you could say maybe over the week there was some um, outperformance, but all there was outperformance by the Australian markets, on the particular day, uh, the Australian market really was probably led by the broader global equity markets. Well, let's stay in the global uh, markets there, Robert. So Brexit's been a theme we've been talking about a lot lately. Uh, what has been the impact more recently with regards to the European and UK markets? Yeah, Craig, I think the biggest impact from Brexit has really been uh, like a second order effect coming through the weaker uh, pound. Uh, what we saw in the original Brexit vote was that 
despite a, a I guess a a immediate correction by the equity markets, uh, a lot of the FTSE 100 companies are generating uh, revenues offshore, and so a weaker pound really helps those markets. Now, Robert, I'm assuming that volatility has been a little subdued in line with those market conditions you described. Is gold and silver also taking a break from a commodity perspective? Very much so, Craig. It was a very boring market um, for precious metals. Uh, gold finished up, uh, say, 30 basis points at around about uh, uh, $1,957, uh, and silver was around about the $27 mark. Right, and let's finish it off in the commodities space. So over the weekend, our Prime Minister has been talking up uh, environmental uh, goals for the federal government. However, I thought it was quite interesting that crude oil has managed a pretty substantial bounce recently. So what was the key driver to this, Robert? Yeah, Craig, uh, we saw a 13, about a 13% drop in crude oil over the previous couple of weeks. And so over the over this past week, we've actually seen the markets rally by about 8.5%. Uh, big drivers here were more demand or more, um, sorry, more usage in the US, as well as OPEC coming out and really um, be showing that they're committed to managing uh, the price of crude oil going forward. Excellent. Thank you, Robert Swan, our head of risk premium equities. You're listening to Craig Valenzuela and QIC's Market Moments podcast. Andrew Whitaker, our senior portfolio manager for fixed income, joins me now to discuss policy, rates, and inflation. Andrew, welcome. What is keeping the yield in the bond markets range-bound this week? Thanks, Craig. And it was a similar theme in fixed interest and inflation markets to what, to what Rob alluded to in the precious metal space. And in that, it was a relatively muted week. So tight ranges in nominal yields and inflation yields and tight ranges in, in nominal yield curves as well. What we've really seen is this falling volatility in the fixed interest space. So the move index, which is a measure of treasury market volatility, fell to 37 last week, which is historically low levels. And really what we're seeing is this dichotomy between central banks who continue to suppress yields via extraordinary policy and asset purchases. And then um, or government authorities who continue to need to issue um, government bonds in order to fund fiscal programs and to keep things in, in equilibrium. So at the moment, these things are in relative equilibrium. So um, the bond markets are, um, have volatility has been low in bond markets accordingly. But, you know, we continue to think that over the medium term that perhaps some um, risk is skewed to, towards higher yields rather than lower yields. And this may have a flown impact into investors and, and um, discount rates, etc. And that, you know, some purchase of inflation or nominal bond protection in your portfolios might be prudent going forward. Can I just go quick go back to the bond markets? Because I really want to find out if there was an, actually an, an investor angle there we can highlight to our listeners uh, with regards yeah. to that equilibrium you described. Yeah, so I think we're seeing this you know, equilibrium between um, extraordinary policy from central banks and then also um, government borrowing authorities. And we're seeing it in both around the world in both Australia, Europe and the US in particular. And what this kind of angle means is that at present, we're seeing um, yields being held down by central banks in this um, asset purchases and extraordinary policy. And this has been very evenly balanced against um, issuance from government authorities. Awesome. Thank you. And you mentioned the FMC meeting earlier today and its muted uh, impact on the market conditions or market outcomes, I should say, despite that additional detail they provided around the average inflation framework. Is it fair to say, Andrew, that the Fed has now less impact uh, on the market due to so much stimulus being consumed? 
Yeah, that's right. And, and Powell made that point in his press conference. Um, he was asked whether the, the um, FOMC is out of ammunition and he and obviously um, he refuted that. But he, he continued to make the point that it's really over to the fiscal um, authorities now to continue to provide that stimulus into the system. And, you know, we saw it last week with the FOMC statement and there was no real market impact. Um, some people were kind of expecting that there may be some um, uptick in asset purchases. We didn't get that. But all in all, the as as the FOMC medium dot plot um, projections indicated, rates are going to be on hold in the US for a long time um, through the end of 2023. And so from that perspective, um, there's not too much more that the, the, the um, monetary policy authorities can really do now. And that um, continued low level of interest rates will continue to be remain supportive for the economy, but really um, it's over to fiscal authority. And some of the potential weakness in equities last week was around that impasse, continued impasse in US um, fiscal deal. There was, there has been no resolution on that front and that continues to weigh on markets somewhat. And Andrew, just while you got your uh, forecasting hat on there, um, the jobs data I mentioned earlier for Australia, uh, do you expect that to have an impact domestically? No, I think, um, I think the biggest, the bigger um, potential driver of um, fixed interest markets in Australia this week will be the 2026 Treasury bond issuance. So, um, the AOFM is issuing a new 2026 bond. We've seen the 2031 um, issuance bond, which was recently should go extremely well. So they printed 21 bill of that. Uh, we saw a tender last week in the 2024s go extremely well. So we're expecting that the 2026 bond will go um, extremely well this week also. So we've got Japan out on holiday on Monday and Tuesday this week. And we know that um, Asian investors have had you know, a large appetite for domestic um, government bond issuance, and we expect that to persist this week. And you know, if they continue, if they you know get the sizable demand, it could be in excess of 20 bill this deal. And what that means is that you know the the amount of government bond issuance this fiscal year is going to potentially exceed 100 billion dollars. So once again, this theme of like government bond supply, you know, and continuing to you know come to the fore, will, will, you know, is a, this is just another example of that. And we saw you know um, domestic markets sell off a little bit post this announcement, given them. You know, this continuing um, avalanche of supply in the government bond space. Thank you, Andrew Rico, for that latest update on inflation rates and policy. You're listening to Craig Valenzuela for QPod Market Moments. Joining us now is Global Credit Income Manager and Senior Research Analyst Stephen Holmes. Stephen, welcome. I want to start with credit derivatives and the roles that are starting to kick off. What are the key focus? Sorry, key factors rather you are focused on? Uh, Craig, thanks. Uh, and good morning, everyone. Look, it's a it's a big time in the uh, CDS markets this this week. Once every six months, uh, a new series is created, and um, basically to reset the timing for the main benchmark maturities. So there's uh, series 34 is created in Australia and the US. Uh, sorry, Australia and Europe this time, and so the new five-year CDS benchmark will mature in December 2025. What's uh, a little bit curious about um, this particular set of roles is um, pr primarily due to the impacts of COVID, there's actually quite a large number of companies in uh, previous investment grade indices, primarily in the US and Europe, which have uh, fallen out of investment grade. So in both the US and Europe, uh, seven companies are falling out of the index. Uh, names like Royal Caribbean and Macy's in the US uh, and in Europe, uh, companies like Lufthansa and Rolls-Royce, clearly, which have been directly impacted by COVID. 
Thank you, Stephen Holmes, for that global credit update. Mareka Ward, Senior Credit and ESG Manager, could I please ask you to join us to discuss the microcredit landscape, please? Let's start with those new issuers coming to the market. It's been great for diversification, but some of the prices didn't land, with Deutsche Banks failing to snare any interest. Was it the case that it took Australian investors for granted by presuming they don't look at other currencies and compare across ratings? Thanks, Craig. Um, yes, it was interesting. There were a few new issuers come to the market and with um, and then there were a couple of deals that failed. And one of them is the one that you mentioned. We do think that was pricing related. They tried to bring a deal that was in the senior non-preferred bank space, and that's a part of the capital structure that we do like. But we think investors do need to compare across currencies and credit ratings because there's some really interesting anomalies if you look to different currencies in particular. And so we weren't surprised that Australian investors didn't see value and that deal sort of failed really. Excellent. And so this an institutional hybrid deals are again hitting the markets, Mareka, and investors seem to like the price and the structure. Centre issued a $3 billion US deal in two tranches. What's the main factor driving this? They did, Craig. Uh, there was a lot of interest in that deal, over $8 billion of orders. So there's 60-year deals, but they're callable in five to 10 years from now. And so for investors, they offer a spread pickup for taking a little bit of subordination by sitting under the senior debt and the capital structure. But for issuers, they give the issuer funding that's cheaper and quicker than issuing equity. And we think that there will be an Australian dollar deal come, and that will be a new one this week. Thank you, Mareka. This week, we're also seeing the first COVID relief bond in Korea, and some Kiwi and US green bonds are also hitting the headlines. Do investors fully understand the shades of green, Mareka, that's required to get the returns they're looking for? Exactly, Craig. I think everyone was keen to print green in the last few weeks. So we do have uh, a Korean bank bringing the first COVID relief bond. But there were some nights last week in the US where there were more green deals printing than vanilla deals. And it, although green is a space that we have supported for a long time, we think newer investors really need to understand the shades of green and not just buy for the label. And Craig, that's because some of the deals that came to the market last week printed well below the issuer's normal curve where the issuer would have printed if it was a non-green deal. So we do think investors need to be very on top of and very careful of valuations in the space. And staying in that theme, Mareka, of course, you are our ESG champion in the fixed income world. The Morrison government, as I mentioned earlier, has articulated its plans to get to net zero, and this includes both hydrogen and gas, which aren't classified as renewable. Is this the right path towards net zero, Mareka, in your opinion? Craig, it's an excellent question and it's a wonderful start for the federal government to articulate the plan to achieve net zero and to help the country meet its Paris Agreement commitments. I think the problem and where they will be criticised is that although gas and hydrogen are lower carbon emitting than coal, they're not as clean as renewable energy. And to meet a gas targeted emissions plan, 
they will need to build new long dated assets. So investors will sort of be critical of that. We do need to keep in mind though, Craig, that it's not renewables off the table. The federal government is still working on Snowy 2.0, so there will be renewables. And the other thing that did catch my eye was some Australian scientists are testing a fossil fuel free brick that will substitute for coal in power stations. So if that can be commercialised, that will go a long way to net zero emissions as well, Craig. So yeah, very, very big week. Thanks. Fantastic. Thank you, Marika, there for that update on the microcredit space. In summary, with equity markets are clearly no longer on the stimulus fuel momentum run they were just a month ago. And we heard from Andy before that monetary policy from central banks is not having that sustained impact for the currency markets. And of course, one to watch out for in the week ahead is that 2026 bond issuance that Andrew um, highlighted earlier as well. And finally, it's a great start to our net zero targets with that federal government policy initiative announced uh, earlier over the weekend. I'm Craig Valenzuela. Thank you for listening to QPods Market Moments podcast today and have a super week ahead.